0: Good morning and take your Bibles and make your way to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. We've already had two. We've already had a teaching through verse 1, but I want to read to you today and it's on the, it'll be on the screen. Um, I've just, I've just titled this one Name and Names and, and I, I like that Paul did that. But let me ask you a question this morning. What are you known for and why? What are you known for and why? When people think about you, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? We ran into Dale and Carolyn... Last night at the football game, I was there with <clears throat> my son Jack and Ben and uh, apparently my adopted son Andy. He's with us wherever we go. <laughs> I love Andy. Uh, and we, were, we had some sideline passes, which was fun. So we were going, going to go back down the sideline and, and like literally ran into Carolyn first and then Dale was behind her. So we hugged their neck and as we were um, walking down, Here's, here's an example. Of what are you known for? Ben said, Don't you just love uh, Miss Carolyn and Mr. Dale? Aren't they, just, aren't they just kind of people that when you see them, you just smile? Yep. Yeah, yep, they are. So, this is what I'm asking you what are you known for and why? Um, so, if you got your Bibles or on a screen, if you would stand with me, I'm just going to read these together and stand in the honor of God's Word, reading. Philippians chapter 4. I think I might have put the wrong verse. No, I didn't. There you are. Verses 1 through 5. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved, Verse 2, I implore Eudia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. One of the things that's frustrating, (laughs) if you've ever been in any type of leadership, you, you, will, you will probably agree with me. One of the frustrating things is when someone comes to you and says, Well, you know, Pastor, um, people are saying, and then they, they give you the gossip, right? Has that ever happened to you in any type of leadership? You know, they're saying, Who are they? And I always stop them right there. I said, I said One of two things. Either you give me names, or you go back to whoever they is and tell they, to come to me <laughs> right and here Paul uh, Paul just named some names and you have to I think we've got to understand something here that um, Paul has got a lot of relational capital I'm thinking specifically with these two women that he can he can do this but as he comes to he's been hinting around at, a, at an issue this entire time without naming names and I guess as he's coming towards the end of this, the Holy Spirit just inspires him to say, you know what? You need to speak specifically to those ladies. But notice how he, how he um, begins to wrap up what he just said to us. He talks in, verse, in chapter um, 3 of the fact that you know, the Judaizers are there and they're going to always try to pull you away and stuff you back into legalism. And if anybody's got a, a chance of depending on his works to be right with God, it's me. And he gives you his record. And then he says, I, I look at that. I look at my record of good deeds like one looks at sewage. It's pretty strong, right? It's not about your works. He said, no, I want to be resurrected from the dead. None of those works brought me to King Jesus. But a faith without works did that. And that's what I'm trusting in. Then he talks about because he's trusting in in Christ and his work. He said, man, that doesn't mean I don't do anything. He said, I'm striving. I am pressing towards that goal. And here's why. My citizenship's not here. It's in the kingdom. Um, Our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're going. Therefore because we have a citizenship that's guaranteed apart from anything that we've done. How many of you, can we just put the pause, anybody glad about that today? Oh my. <laughs> Would we all be just in trouble if it depended on us at all? At all? I, it just amazes me. Pastor Jay, I don't know if you, if you have this, surely you've had this happen to you. you are talking to people and you're sharing the gospel and say, well, I'm a good person. Really? <laughs> Are you like totally globally good? And you really willing to stand on that before a God who knows you better than you know yourself? I'm not. I'll tell you right now. Not me. I'm thankful for grace. I'm thankful that my citizenship has zero to do with me and everything to do with my king who saves me. Amen? Woo! So the first point in here, and I just threw it in there so Jay so, so beautifully and firmly taught this to us a few weeks ago, is number one is to stand firm. Stand firm in the faith. Therefore, my beloved and long for brethren. And, and here's that tenderness, right? You're my joy and my crown. What's he saying? I love you people. I love you people. You're, you're my people. You are my joy and my crown. And that crown is, is my accomplishment. I love you all. So don't take this. I think he's kind of setting up and don't take this the wrong way. Stand. And then what does he say? Stand firm. Stand fast. And notice this little phrase, in the Lord. And then he says, beloved, my dearly loved people, stand fast in the Lord. Notice that realm, in the Lord, right? And that's going to be a theme because the very next verse, is going to say the same thing, same phrase, in the Lord. So stand firm. Number two in there is where we're going to jump in today, and that's settle your differences. Settle differences your differences stand firm so you don't give up your standing in the lord right what you know to be true so you don't ever fudge on doctrine on what is right and what is wrong but everything else you can compromise on stand firm on what's right don't ever give up the gospel but he names names look what he says i implore judia and i implore syntiche to be of the same mind, and now notice this phrase again, same mind how or where? In the Lord. In the Lord. So in the Lord. Now we don't know what was going on with these ladies. And be honest with you, how many of you would like to know? Wouldn't it be something if he just gave us some inside scoop? He doesn't. I think he doesn't do that for a number of reasons. I think partially is to maintain their dignity. I think... He knew that everybody in the little church at Philippine knew what the problem was and that those two ladies knew what the problem was. And That's enough. And I think also by not telling us what it is, it leaves the door open for all manner of problems that we might have with one another and gives us a nice broad overview. Does that make sense this morning? So this is kind of I almost laughed out loud when I read this. It's typical God is how the Lord works. But this is kind of funny to me. So whenever I see names and stuff, if you want to have some fun in your Bible study, you should do this. Names are important, yeah. right? I ask you, what are you known for and why? A lot of, do you know a lot of names came from uh, qualities people were known for? I remember one of the saddest days of my life is when I discovered what Paul means. It means little or small. Thank you. Thank you, Mom, for naming me Paul, (laughs) right? That's the last thing a teenage boy wants to be named is small. Um, But Eudia and Synthicae, their their names have meaning. Eudia means sweet smell, sweet smell, and Synthicae means friendly. Now, here's the deal. Neither Eudia nor Synthicae were living up to their names, were they? Lydia was not smelling, or Judea uh, sm- did not have a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord right now, and Syntyche was not being friendly. We don't know what the problem was, but for whatever reason, sweet-smelling friendly weren't very sweet or very friendly to each other. And I wonder, and maybe it's just me, I, What this letter was brought back and read to the, to the whole assembly. Y'all getting where I'm going with this? Tom shaking his head. Can you imagine? I mean, these Judea and Syntyche don't know what's in here. Now, the whole time he's been, he's been hitting on unity. Look, you all be of the same mind to the Lord. And that comes by being humble, right? Chapter 2. Look how humble our king was, right? And look how God has exalted him. Look how humble Timothy is. Look how humble your, your, your servant Epaphroditus is. Be like these guys, right? Be humble. And humility is the door to unity. So he's hinting at unity the whole time. I can't imagine on the first assembly, Epaphroditus comes back. So oh, I got this letter to read for you from Paul. You imagine being those two ladies. I'm sure they're not sitting next to each other because they're not getting along. Think about this. He goes, finally, my brothers, stand fast in the Lord. Oh, yeah. And Judea and Synthicae. Oh, no. He, brings, he names them by name. You two ladies figure it out right? You two figure out how to get along. You, you come to start thinking the same in the Lord. I don't know how that must have felt for those two. 2,000 years later, their names stand for women who couldn't stand each other. I mean, that's, that's kind of a bad record, isn't it? I can't imagine how that must have felt for them. But I find it instructive here that Paul doesn't give us very many details, and we can't tell from his words the background of the problem. And nothing he says lets us know who was right and who was wrong. Isn't that interesting? We don't know. And we don't know if there was a right and a wrong. So instead of taking sides, which could he have done that? He knew. He knew what the issue was. They had other issues in other churches. Think of the Corinthian church. He took a side and he took a stand. He said, here's exactly what you do. I'm judging this, though I'm absent. As your authority, pastoral authority, I'm, ju- I'm making a judgment. He did not do that here. Instead, he just exhorts these two Christian women to settle their differences. We can make some assumptions about that, but I don't know that, that it's helpful. I think one assumption we can make is that this was a non-doctrinal issue. I'm thinking this probably was a preference issue. Anybody out here have any preferences? do we have preferences yeah we all have preferences but turning your preferences into demands is where fights start and insisting on your preferences is the doorway to disunity i sat yesterday uh, and listen to a friend of mine. He's preached in his church, Pastor Stan Givens, pastors in Mobile, Alabama. He brought some alarming statistics about pastors. And basically, it's mostly bad news. Um, the vast majority of pastors under the age of 42 are looking to do something else other than pastoring. They're, they're ready to check it all in. Like, it's, a, it's an alarming percentage. And if even half of them do it, we're going to have... Pastorless churches really soon, um, and one of the reasons is people in churches are are taking preferences and putting them at the level of, of biblical conviction, and and these men are like, and these are these are younger men and are like, you know what? I don't got time for that mess. This is insane, and it is insane. But boy, once you get your feet planted. How many of you know that, that argument can go deep and people are willing to part company over that? And these young pastors or younger pastors are like, you know what? Life's too short for this. I can go do something else. And they're checking out in droves. Dropping like flies. we got to be careful of that. you got to be careful of your preferences. I've seen this so many times in the church. I've seen it in families. Um, in good families, I've seen political preferences become divisionary. That's not, that shouldn't be. Now, there's things we should stand on. Paul does not say don't stand firm. <laughs> stand on some stuff, right? But don't divide over, over preferences. It's obvious here these women were Christians. Look at verse 3. He says, I urge you also, true companion. We don't know who this guy was. True companion, actually, that word is another name a First century name, and we're thinking that it might have just got translated here, and this was actually the guy's name or lady's name because it could go. It's like Chris in our language; it could be male or female. Um, but I urge there's, there's this person, this true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the Book of Life. So he said, "Look, these are two Christian women. How many of you know true born again Christians can can have disagreements that can really?" become elevated to the level that is that is taking the attention of the church off of what we're supposed to be doing and causing disunity. Do you think this is pleasing to the Lord? No. He said, hey, some, and how many of us know sometimes we need help? We need outside help to help settle differences. We really do. Um, so... They are evidently personal friends of his. These people who worked with him in founding of the church at Philippi. I'm thinking probably Lydia was part of that. And instead of focusing on the causes, Paul exhorts these two women. Look what he says: to just agree, have the same, which literally means to to come. To come to one mind, to have one mind on this thing. Now, in order for these two women, they're, they're disagreeing about something. In order for them to have one mind, what has to happen? You're smart, people. Someone's got to give. Either one person has to give completely, or they both had to give a little bit. But someone has to give. Let me, can I just ask you a, a sensitive question? When's the last time you gave? A little bit. When's the last time you compromised? You know, I see so many people do. I'm going to take my toys and go home. I'm out. Okay, you're not going to you're not going to give me what I want. I'm out, and that's not good for you. We need we need to be part of the fellowship, and when we get close together in cr- close proximity, guess what's going to happen? We're going to it's going to be some of this. We're going to disagree, but let's come to the same mind. Somebody give. Somebody give. Um, And that doesn't mean we got to see eye to eye on every detail. That's not what the same mind means. It means it's a personal choice to focus on the things that united them in Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Focus on what you have in common, not on what you have different. I asked my friend Jay Watts that. He's spoken here. I'd love to get him here again, but... It was so hard to get him the first time. I don't know if I could ever get him to come back. But he, he goes to um, secular universities and gives talks on the sanctity of human life. You can imagine the feedback he gets. And he does an open mic when it's over and lets these students and professors debate him. Um, and one of the things he said, I said, Jay, how do you even do that? He said, one of the best ways to do it is to find something, some common ground. What is it we do agree on? He said, and even with a person who hates your guts after your speech, there's there's things about human life that we actually do agree on. He said, we start from agreement and we have common ground, and then we move to what we disagree on and say, is there a way we can we can come together on that? What a good thought. So he, he regards these women as, as genuine believers. Let me throw a couple of things at you, and this is just, let me just give you some principles for handling problems when you have disagreements with people here's our first one this is hard and it takes a level of maturity but we need to separate convictions from opinions we need to learn to separate our convictions from our opinions how many of you know that we we should probably hold very few convictions but the ones we have we should hold firmly but opinions and convictions don't carry the same weight. How many of you have ever held an opinion that you discovered you would discover maybe years later was the wrong one? I've I've done that. Sometimes it's shocking, isn't it? You were so sure, so sure you were right and you were wrong. And it's kind of some humble pie. So be careful. Don't don't treat convictions and opinions as the same. Separate those two. Here's a big one. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. Man, that's hard. Right? Why is that hard? What does it take in order to ask for forgiveness? But you're wrong, what? It's humility at the end of the day, right? Even if you are wrong. It's hard because we're proud people. So again, that's why chapter 2 is so important. And he's telling, you know, these ladies need to, need to be humble. Here, here's a third one. Look for opportunities to show kindness in small ways. And I would put as a parenthesis in there, um, in hidden ways. Show kindness to that person that you're struggling with and as much as you can, do it without them knowing it's you. Um, here's one. This is this is a tough one, but pray for the success of the other person that you're frustrated with at the time. I'll never forget, there was a, a pastor's son in our school that I went to and um, he was just a, he's just a, we had a term up north, it's, I think it's an Italian term, it's called a nudge. You know what a nudge is? Tom's shaking his head. Linda's from New Jersey, she knows what a nudge is. A, a nudge is just one of those people that just, just kind of always gets under your skin, right? Um, you all know those people? If they're around you, don't look at them or point at them right now. But this guy was a nudge, and he, did, and he just got under my skin, and he was really good at it. And he knew what he was doing. And uh, one day I'd had enough of him, and I gave him a good thrashing that he deserved on the playground. And this was in, I think, junior high school or maybe my freshman year. And I, we got in trouble. I got in trouble. And I remember after it was over, I, I was in Spanish class with Mrs. Barda, who was my youth pastor's wife. And I just, she said, what happened out there? Because I was a new Christian. She goes, what, what did you do? I said, I said Miss Barda, I just had enough of him, and he needed to learn a lesson, and I gave it to him. I said, I just I just cannot stand that guy. He is such a jerk. And <laughs> tears welled up in her eyes. And she said, Can I just challenge you're you're Christian. Can I challenge you to do something? She says, You don't know what's going on. You don't you don't have the knowledge and idea of what's going on in his life right now. But you just got to trust me there. But she said, Could I challenge you to do something? I said, Sure. He said, would you, just for one whole week, and when you come back to, to class next week, I want to talk to you about it. But I want to give you a whole week, I want three times a day, and do, do it before you eat. You pray before you eat, pray for him, and pray for God's blessing, and for God to really get a hold of him. His name was Jeff. We had a nickname for him that I can't say. Uh, and everybody called him that. Um, she said, pray for him every day by name. And I did for a whole week. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. My prayers at first weren't nice prayers. Have you ever read any imprecatory psalms? <laughs> you ever pray for people like that? Lord, get them. <laughs> Lord, you, this guy's a nudge and he needs a beating. And, you, I, you know, I did it and got in trouble, but you could do it. And it might work for him. And that was my prayers at first. But then I started, it was a weird thing. God softened my heart towards this guy, right? And by the end of the week, one week's time, I came back into class, and Mrs. Barta said, how's that going? I said, oh, Mrs. Barta, there's something about praying for people that softens your heart. And it did. It was about the fourth or fifth day. My whole attitude towards him changed. And you know, when I graduated from high school, he was one of my better friends, And it's all because i was challenged to pray for a guy i really disagreed with here's another one ask god to remove the bitterness from your heart and that's what praying helps do that right what is bitterness It's unforgiveness so when you start asking god to remove the bitterness god's going to bring you back to number two and that is asking forgiveness of god first and then the other person and this one sometimes you need this help and mrs bardo was this for me um, ask a friend to hold you accountable you struggling with somebody ask a friend hey, can you, will, you, will you hold me accountable in this relationship someone that every time they see you say hey how's that going are, are you asking God to bless them are you praying for them it helps a lot uh, there's a guy named Judson Edwards he, he wrote a book um, and it's called what they never told us about how to get along with other people that's actually a good little book. Here's, here's his advice very quickly. He says, agree more and argue less. It seems like a duh, right? But if we put these into practice, they would really work. Here's one that's hard for me, and I'm learning as I get older. Listen more and talk less. Hey, church, God gave you two ears and one mouth. That's a ratio. <laughs> you math teachers out there. We should be hearing twice listening twice as much as we're speaking. Learn to listen more than you talk. Produce more and advertise less. Do more and brag about it less. Confess more and accuse less. Laugh more, worry less. How many of you know it's good to laugh at yourself? (laughs) Amen. And I like this one. Give more. Receive less. Look for opportunities to be generous. Can, can I put the? Let me put it in this way, too. Praise more and rebuke less. Um, I remember meeting a guy, I've told this story before, but I was at a conference, Paul was with me. Remember that conference we went to Tacoa Falls? Very interesting. But there was this daddy there, and he had a bunch of kids, typical homeschool family, right? And they had the littlest boy was about Peter's age, and he was naughty. He was really, he was a, he was a naughty little kid, didn't need to spank spanking, in my opinion. Um, and every time that little boy would act up, the dad would just, just big strapping daddy, he would just turn and smile, smile at this kid with such, and it wasn't made up. It was obvious this little boy was a joy to his dad's heart, right? And when he would smile at him, a smile out of my eye, I would snatch him up, I'd scrub his neck and wear his bottom out, right? But this guy would just smile at him, and when he did, the kid started behaving. You know, he would whatever he was doing, he would stop, and he would smile back, and he would reflect it, right? Sometimes. By the way, parents, if you don't like what you're getting, you need to ask what you're given. So anyway, I actually, I watched this over this weekend. And um, it convicted me. Kind of made me feel like a bad parent, which I was, probably. <laughs> and I went to him, I said, man, I'm just watching you. You know, you got like 10 kids here, and this little guy's handful. I didn't figure I was giving him any new information. He knew that. And I said, but I'm, I watch how you respond when he's, you know, being a little too loud or something. And instead of frowning at them, you smile at them. And here's what he told me. He said, yeah, he said, Lord convicted me years ago that and he said, I try to smile at my kids more than I frown at them. He said, because when I do it that way, when he said, when I delight in my children, here's what he said. And I, I, it brought tears to my eyes. He said, when I delight in my children, I find they become delightable. And that's something. When I delight in them, they they become delightable. He said, and I found out that a lot of the problem was me more than it was them. He said, and then when I do have to get after them, it really matters. It really counts. Because they know I delight in them and that they are the joy of my heart. Then verse number four. I call verse number four the YBH of how to settle your differences. He said, ladies, get along. But here's the YBH of that is verse four. And it's resolved to rejoice. And this is the third time, the third command, and it's really simple. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And even though it's short, this command, would you agree, might be the most difficult one to obey consistently? Isn't it? Some of you might identify with W.C. Fields. And if you're old enough, you'll know who that is. He said this. I start off each day with a smile, and then I get over it, (laughs) right? Anybody say amen to that, (laughs) right? I start off each day with a smile, then I get over it. And I just want you to note that the command to rejoice is the only one in here that's repeated. He doesn't say settle your differences, and again, I say settle your differences. He doesn't say that, right? But rejoice is the only command in here that he repeats. Why is that? Because I guess we need to hear it. We need to be convinced. Here's, and here's what I think here. The way those two ladies were going get, to get it together and settle their differences was to rejoice in what they had in common. And he already told us what they had in common. Their names were written where? In the book of life. He said, I got nothing to rejoice over. Then you need to repent and put your faith in Jesus. When we belong to him by grace through faith, you've always got something to rejoice over. Amen. Goodness. Rejoice in the Lord. There's that word in the Lord again. Third time. In all these commands, in the Lord is part of it. Isn't that interesting? Revisit your joy in the Lord. Why? Because I've said it before, but joy is truth dependent, not circumstance dependent. Whatever this circumstance was with this lady, with these two ladies, was nothing that either of them could be happy about. Neither of them were happy. But he said, but here's what I know you have. You have joy, and joy is truth-dependent, not circumstance-dependent. Circumstance-dependence is happiness, from which we get the word happenstance. If your circumstances are good, you're happy, right? Your team wins, you're happy, right? Um, You get the promotion and the raise that goes with it, you're happy. But joy has nothing to do with your circumstances. And that's why Paul's reminding them, hey, ladies, you need to revisit your joy. What are those things that gladden your heart? And what, in the Lord, there's your big clue. We have so much to be thankful for. On Christmas Day, uh, many years ago, 1998, uh, CNN broadcast Larry King's interview with an aging Billy Graham, who was up into his 80s at this point. And in those years, Dr. Graham had had a number of major health problems, and they were starting to pile up. He had undergone several different difficult operations, and he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, How did did he feel about the prospect of his own death? Um, Here's what he said. Oh, I'm not afraid to die. In fact, I'm looking forward to it. I wish that day would hurry up and get here. (laughs) And what does he expect to happen when he dies? He said this, When I die, an angel's going to take me by the hand and lead me into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Larry King asked him how he felt about having Parkinson's disease, this is so interesting. Dr. Graham said this, "I I feel great about it. It's been a wonderful experience. I believe the Lord has many lessons to teach me through this disease. (laughs) Tom said, wow, I'm with you. Wow. I think that's what it means to rejoice in the Lord always. He just refused to look at anything as other than from the hand of a God who is good and and had his best interest in mind. And somehow Parkinson's was part of that. And I don't say that lightly. I, I mean, I'm looking around this room. I've walked some. Dark valleys with some of you. I know that some of you are in the middle of some dark valleys. How do I rejoice in that? God's got it. He's got you. And there's there's purpose in this. And when it's all over, as much tears as you're going to shed right now, when it's all over, listen to me, he's going to wipe those tears away one day. He's going to make it all right. And you hang in there and you do that by revisiting what's been done for you. You, don't, you deserve eternity in hell. He has given you his son and eternity in heaven. Rejoice! And when we get there and realize how much we've been given that we don't deserve, I can let go of my preferences and come to the other person's side of the issue and adopt the same mind. Without it, I just can't. So let me give you some homework for your DLT groups this week. I, I want you to go home today and take a sheet of paper out and write down your top reasons to rejoice today. I mean, our, our top reason is Christ, obviously, in our salvation. But there's some other things we can rejoice about. I don't know about you, and this might be a little circumstance dependent, but I've been rejoicing when I've been going out my door at 6 o'clock every morning. <laughs> right? <laughs> That cold temperature rejoices my heart, yeah. right? Um, I've been rejoicing. I got to watch Jack's, two of Jack's Little League games this week, and my boy got up and first game hit two homers. In the second game he hit a single, a double and a triple. I re- that rejoices my heart. And it's not because he you know, those are great. It's not because of his batting average. He just It rejoices me to see the joy that's in him to be able to get out there and play that game, right? That, that's, a, that's a blessing. How about we write some of those things down to bring us joy, right? I know that when I leave that house in the morning and it's still dark, that my wife's going to get up right behind me and is going to lead our children, teach them their schoolwork. And run that house as an extension of me when I'm not there. That's a joy. And then this last one. Ah, this point. You know how you got to, where's Pastor Jay? I don't see him in here. Yeah, you know, oh, you got, you're back there. You're hiding behind your son, that's why. You know how you got a really good sermon going, Jay? And then you read the next verse, it's like, oh got me. <laughs> this, is, this, this is a gotcha one for me. Um, here it is. Ask God for a gentle spirit. Mm-mm-mm. I ask you at the beginning of the sermon, what are you known for and why? Are you known for a gentle spirit? Or are you known as an antagonist or a fighter? It's not wrong to be a fighter for the right things, but even as we fight, we need to have a gentle spirit. Look what he says there. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Again, he's still talking to these ladies, right, and the whole church. Why? The Lord is at hand. The Lord's here. He's near. Um, Now, scholars, Greek scholars tell us that that word that's translated gentleness is a really hard word to precisely translate into English. Let me give you some other possibilities, and some of your other uh, versions will say this. Uh, other possibilities include moderation, forbearance, mildness, or and fair-mindedness. Think about how fair-mindedness might be really apropos to Yudia and Syntyche right now. Be fair-minded. But I like this, this one, even though I don't promote his paraphrase, because I, I think it's most more harmful than helpful, but Eugene Peterson, I think, really did do a good job on this part. He calls it the quality of inner calmness. Do you have an inner calmness? Here, here's how you, Peterson, in his paraphrase, the message says it. He says, make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. You're on their side. These ladies were not on each other's side. This gentleness. Jesus was gentle. Look what, look what the prophecy of the Messiah said. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. But he will faithfully bring forth justice. Right? That doesn't mean you're weak. Actually, it actually might mean you're strong. Be gentle. This quality of this inner calmness, this gentleness, is especially needed in two situations. Number one, when you're dealing with someone who drives you nuts. When you're dealing with someone who's making you crazy, you need to be inwardly calm. Amen. What's the scripture say? A soft answer does what? What? Turns away, it extinguishes anger. Think of anger as a fire. A soft answer is like pouring water on a flame, just puts it out. But grievous words do what? Hot words are like pouring gasoline on a fire. The problem with us, if you're like me, is that your brain thinks of all kinds of nasty things to say when you're in that discussion with somebody, right? And what you got to learn is have the sense of inner calmness, this gentleness that is a spiritual fruit that says, you know what, just because I think it, it doesn't have to be said. What, would, what is the response, Lord, that you would be pleased with? What's a spirit-generated response? So people who are making you, driving you nuts. And then second situation which we need as gentleness is when you feel yourself, oh, you're about ready to blow it. You're about ready to blow your top, and you know... That very soon you're going to say or do something that you're probably going to regret later. That's when you need to hit the pause button and say, Lord, you need to pull a Peter. Say, Lord, save me. (laughs) Save me from myself. Silence is golden. And a minimum at those times, your gentleness can be displayed by just being quiet. And this inner calmness should be seen by everyone who knows us. Think about I think about that woman who was caught in adultery. However that thing played out was weird. Right? And notice it was just her. I don't think you can do adultery alone. Pretty sure. But just the woman shows up. You ever thought about this, you know, what is We don't know what he wrote in the sand, but it must have been something. And one by one they drop their and and when you think rocks, don't think we're talking rocks. Because these rocks were designed to cave your head in and kill you. One by one, they're dropping rocks, from the oldest, that's interesting, to the youngest. And they walk away. And a woman's on the ground, head down, she's not even seeing what's going on. She's waiting for the first rock. Because Jesus, what did he what did he just say to that crowd? Whatever he wrote, he says to the pharisees with the big stones all right go ahead executor as long as you don't have sin he here who is without sin cast the first stone you know what there was one person that had a right to pick up a rock it was him but he doesn't Instead, he calls her. Notice that. Don't don't ever miss this in that story, in that account. He calls her to repent. He says, "I'm not I'm not condemning you either. But it's not that I'm not. That's not that I'm stupid. <laughs> I know what you were doing. Go and what? So don't, what don't do this anymore. Be, why? Because <laughs> you've been shown mercy and grace. I've been gentle with you. Be gentle with yourself." By the way, when you're sinning, you're not being gentle with yourself. You're destroying yourself. Let your gentleness be made known to everybody. Why? The Lord is here. Now that can mean a couple of things. It can mean that the Lord is at hand or near. That means His coming is soon. I don't think that's, really don't think that's what it means. It's my opinion. That and five bucks, to get your coffee at Starbucks. But my opinion is, He's saying the Lord is here right now. It's the same phrase that Jesus used, repent for the kingdom is at hand it it, it doesn't mean that it was going to become no it came with me i'm here the kingdom's right here i think he's saying why 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 do we be gentle because jesus christ is witnessing everything you're doing because jesus christ his holy spirit is in you and you are in christ this is not how he would respond be gentle because you are in him and he is in you and he's the one of which it was said I'm not even going to break a bruised reed. I'm not even going to put out a flax, smoking flax that won't light. I'm going I'm to give it time. I'm going to be kind and gentle. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So I asked you a question when we started today. The now, there's, there's another set of commands here there's just not time to do it justice and i'll do that next week and that's these last verses be anxious for nothing put in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto god and here's the result and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through christ jesus now we read that peace of god part and we tie it only to the prayer I think it's supposed to be tied to everything he just said. I think it's it's supposed to be tied to working things out between each other and coming to the same mind in our differences. Then you get the peace of God. I think it's supposed to be tied to rejoicing in the Lord. When we rejoice, we have peace. I think it's supposed to be tied to gentleness and that we're displaying that. And then when we pray, trusting God, and we do these things, then we have this incredible overwhelming peace. And I want to close with this. If you're not gentle today, you don't have peace. If you are a grumbler rather than a rejoicer, you are not a peaceful person. And if you refuse to budge an inch, and your disagreements with other people. You are not a peaceful person. You see how this peace connects to all of those things? And if you're not a prayer, you're not peaceful. You don't have the peace of God. So, I guess the question is, what are you known for today and why? People think of you and they think, oh no, you know, that same guy, at that conference, he said to me, he said, yeah, he said, when, you come, when I come home from a day's work, I want my children to say, thank God it's dad, not dear God it's dad. How many of you, when people see you, say thank God or dear God? I'm not kidding. We need to repent over that. And that looks like getting on your knees before God. And come in. Maybe your heart's just broken today, and and you have so much anger in you. And that gentleness is not what what wants to come out. And you, but you're fighting for it. Maybe you just need to come, get on your face before God. There's something humbling about getting on your. My dad loved to pray at the altar. There's something about doing that. I said, God, publicly, I'm coming. I want these people to. See me on my knees before you, and, and I, I want to repent. Give me a, a gentle spirit. Give me the ability to give up my preferences while standing firm in my convictions and to know the difference. And, Lord, i got so much to rejoice over, and I've been so stingy with that. You have saved me. I want to rejoice today. Whatever that is, I want to open this up for us to come and put some of this in practice today. Would that be a good thing for us to do? I think it would. Would you stand with me? I uh, had the worship team come. We're going to sing one song and then leave. And that's a, for, for me, that's a short sermon today. Um, you regulars know that. But don't stay where you are. Come get on your knees before God. Maybe you just need to come and rejoice. Let's do that. Uh, maybe we need to repent. Let's do that. And let's ask God to let these commands really become a part of our life. And then you watch God's peace show up. You watch it. But let's get, let's respond to what the Lord has taught us. Come on. People are coming now. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for your grace. We're going to sing about that right now. Isn't that what leads us home? It's your kindness. We want to be kind and gentle, just like Jesus is with us. Show us how to do that, Lord, in Jesus' name.